0: Welcome to the Big Screen Symposium podcast. This session is from the Big Screen Symposium held in Auckland on the 4th and 5th of December 2020. Film clips played at the live event have been edited out of the podcast. In this session, New Zealand On Air's Chief Executive Cameron Highland and Head of Funding Amy Mills outline the challenges, ideas and opportunities ahead as we all try to put 2020 behind us. How do we get local content in front of fragmenting audiences and young New Zealanders in particular? How do we achieve authenticity for diverse audiences? If there's a year to transform culture, it is 2021. This session is moderated by producer Kay Almers.
1: Um, noho mai, mai. Hara mai ki wahanga kāi thank you for joining us again or sticking around for this next session a conversation with new zealand on air as as Paula mentioned the the theme of this for this symposium is Transforming Culture and and in the New Zealand landscape. There's a leading role played by New Zealand On Air. Um, So their role is investing in public media content which reflects our cultural identity, which in turn helps to build social cohesion, inclusion and connection. So that is very transformative and um, we look forward to the next next, um, few years. Um, So in this important session, we're going to hear from New Zealand On Air as they reflect on this extraordinary year and also give us a glimpse into future activities. Um, But we thought we'd start by celebrating the work of NZ On Air and taking a look at some of the projects that uh, NZ On Air funded projects that have been released over the last year. So we've got a lovely showreel that they've prepared that we're going to take a look at now. And congratulations also, of course, to all the wonderful creatives responsible for that beautiful work. Thank you. Um, and I would actually like to start by thanking NZ On Air for your performance in these challenging times this year. Um, I've been um, in a commissioning role most of the year, so we had quite a large slate of projects that we were working across. And I can honestly say that the team just never missed a beat. Um, You know, I think NZ On Air embodied the the key words of 2020, you know, agile, (laughs) pivoting, all of those things, because, you know, I was aware what we were dealing with was a tiny portion of what you were doing, introducing new funds, and um, the consideration and care that I saw the staff show towards the projects that I was looking after was extraordinary. So I would really like us to once again thank the whole team of NZ On Air for getting through the year. And today, of course, we have Head of Funding, Amy Mills, and CEO Cameron. Thank you both for taking time to prepare some notes and for being here at this busy time of the year. Uh, It's it's a rather short session, but we are going to take questions through Slido, and we'll see how we go. Um, But if we don't get a chance to address them, they'll kind of help set some themes that can be explored um, when Amy and Cam are also generously and the rest of their team making themselves available at lunchtime in the Villa Maria Gallery. So do feel free to put the questions there and we'll we'll see how we go within the session because there's a lot to share. Um, so we're going to start with Cameron, Cameron Harland, who joined NZ On Air in March, just days before we headed into our national lockdown. So he um, took the helm of a ship, was heading into uncharted territory and had to do it possibly from his bedroom or his kitchen or wherever that happened. Um, so I'm sure it's been a real ride. And I'm really looking forward to hearing from Cameron about some reflections over the year that's been, some insights. So kia Cameron. Oh,
2: kia ora. Thank you, Kay. Um, I just want to acknowledge Kay for um, stepping in and... and uh, um, and volunteering to come and sort of help us <laughs> through the session um, this morning. I didn't know so. there
1: was a choice. <laughs> there wasn't.
2: <laughs> um, and I also want to just reiterate what Kay just said. Um, that's not our show reel or highlights reel. It's, it's yours. It's the sector that we um, <clears throat> humbly support um, and continue to. Um, I think it is important just to kind of take stock for a minute and just kind of acknowledge that there have been, uh, you know, a, a huge number of highlights, and, and I think that reel sort of pays testament to that really, really. Um, we saw uh, some amazing performances from local content, whether it be sort of One Lane Bridge that, that sort of rated its socks off in a time when everyone was at home wanting to watch something, you know, that they could get their sort of teeth into. Um, Paddy Gower Weed, I think, was, was in that reel, um, you know, really, really um, popular but also important messages. Uh, and acknowledging a whole bunch of the the, the various diverse audiences that we uh, we support through our funding but, of course, um, our, our delivered upon by the production sort of sector that we support. I'm looking at Dan from Attitude uh, sitting in front of me, Uh, the the fantastic and fine work that they do, you know, week in, week out. So, um, I mean, I think resilience has been used as a word a lot this year, Um, but I have to say I I just, I believe that the sector has been amazing through a really, really uncertain period. So a lot of people have said to me, oh, you know, poor you, you know, you started four days before lockdown, um, you know, that must have been tough and of course um, my first reaction to that is, well, look, I was, you know, I was on a salary and there's a whole bunch of people in this room. Uh, pretty much most of our sector are people that um, kind of work from from show to show and job to job and that's an uncertain time and then when you have COVID thrown on top, um, that's pretty extraordinary. So. Um, I am I am very, very proud of our team um, because I think we did realise straight away that the uncertainty that was out there in the sector um, was an important thing for us to try and sort of at least do our bit to solve. Um, and if I think about the COVID funding that we managed to, to sort of um, attract uh, through some, you know, some really fine work by the team, proactively... Working with the ministry, so a shout out to them and a shout out to all of the ministers that were involved who did absolutely put their back into this and say, wow, this is unprecedented. Um, This is really scary. What can we do? So if I stop and think, obviously this is a big screen symposium, but um, we doubled our music funding. So we we do an amazing amount of work for about $4 million a year. So the music guys got an extra four. um, And that was absolutely an answer to the fact that the music sector's were completely out of work. So they make almost all their money from gigging and, of course, there were just no shows happening. So our ability to at least put money into that sector by way of singles and albums and allow them to kind of create amazing content that would then make the money down the line was fantastic. Um, We got 16.5 million, I think, um, for platform contribution relief. So, again, not new money for us per se, but what it did is it meant that Uh, you know, some of our bigger platforms but also the other ones that we support like Stuff uh, were able to reduce their contribution to the content that we fund. And what that meant, and uh, we talk about highlights, is that we actually saw an increase in the amount of applications we got through the period even though their revenue had had dropped off a cliff. So again, that was a really sort of elegant solution um, to to solve a a problem that, that was... Unprecedented. <laughs> um, <laughs> some other funds that we received, obviously, we've just talked about the 50 mil today. Um, that, that's actually been a really, really big one, to be honest. I mean, um, Amy, myself, the funding team here, obviously, Annabelle's team, Larry's team. Um, you know, it, it, could have been, it could have been and possibly would have been an option for the government just to have said, here's another 25 mil NZ on air, here's another 25 mil or, or NZFC and just go and do what you normally do. Um, I, think they were, I think they were really sort of visionary in a way to sort of say, let's do something different. Let's use this as a way to kind of lift the output of the industry. Um, but what it meant is it took longer. You know, it took a lot longer for us to frame that up from a policy point of view because it was new. It took a lot longer for the agencies to get their heads around how we might kind of work this through in a way that people understand. Um, but that's fine. Uh, well, it's sort of fine. I guess it's somewhat fine because we've got come through COVID uh, in, in a, I think, a better way than we've kind of thought. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my ramble to start, sorry. Um, but I guess it's it, perhaps it's, it's a good way to sort of frame this conversation, which is that's what's happened. And and to a certain extent, what that has meant is that I, don't, I still don't really know what business as usual is. I don't know what normal is. Someone said to me the other day, oh, how often are you in Auckland? I said, I have no fucking idea. I don't know how often I'm supposed <laughs> to be in Auckland. Um, um, Probably a lot. Um,
1: but that's a good thing, right? I mean, I think we heard <coughs> from was it Corey yesterday that was talking about when you don't know what the rules are to be broken, it kind of makes it easier to yeah. create something new.
2: Yeah, yeah. And look, the one, the one last thing, and it is an off, off uh, I have said this a couple of times that it embarrasses Amy all the time. Um, <coughs> but as, as a person that had had four days in the office and, and was trying to work out what sort of the normal was, um, this kind of angel <laughs> from maternity leave rings me and says, I'm ready to come back and help. And to be fair, I think she was ready to come back and help because she kind of needed some space I away wasn't from <laughs> no. Maisie. Um, I But, you know, the 700,000 um, <laughs> that we sort of found, which was literally just kind of leftover funds that we just wanted to get out into this, I think that was, for me, was the best signal that we could have seen. Like, we we've found what we can, let's get it out and get... Content made, but people and work. And um, that was on top of a business as usual funding round. So it was really fantastic just to have someone come in and go, oh, I'll just help you with that. Obviously, the, the funding team sort of did, did the mahi as well. But
3: and, and also creatively, like I don't know how many people have seen um, Inside. It was on Prime oh. and Neon. So that was um, Morgana and Pete and, and our whole team. But they did it all in lockdown. It's this amazing kind of psycho thriller, drama slash comedy so what was amazing, again, the resilience language, but it was creatively watching people respond to that and figure out how they could make something completely in lockdown. It was quite remarkable, you know. So it's a good
1: time um, to turn to you, Amy, because um, as, as, as Cameron's mentioned, you're recently back from delivering your most important production to date. Work so in congratulations. progress. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. Beautiful daughter, and thank you for coming back early. Um, So, Amy's been with NZ On Air for about two years, excluding that time out to to bring her her production to life. Um, And before that, TVNZ's Commissioner of Children's Content. So you know, Cameron's given us sort of a bit of an overview of what's what's been happening in the in the year. I think Amy, you're going to turn a bit more to kind of future yeah. future planning. Yes. What's going
3: on there? And give us a bit of a run through yeah, future activities. And um, and Cam's already said it, but. Um, it is worth thinking big screen agenda and K because at the very last minute we decided we didn't want to do death by PowerPoint because we just sort of had this whole slide set set out and then we realised that when you're actually talking about transforming culture and when you're coming to these kind of events, the ability to just have a deeper discourse is kind of was sort of what we, need, we felt needed to do. And in particular, we we had a um, a strategy session. It was actually just predated you didn't you had quite joined, but it was looking at the unique position that Irirangitemotu has in the sector, and what does that mean in terms of what aren't we doing enough of? And of course, COVID kind of throws everything in the air, but in, in an interesting way, COVID kind of sharpened the things that had come out of um, that early strategy session. So if there was going to be a slide up top, it would have kind of four strategic themes. And for us, they broadly sit under the banners of um, leadership. Uh, tamariki and Rangatahi, which is interesting because it's a, it's a specific audience that we're saying we're not delivering to, and we need to figure out how to do that. And data, which is probably everyone like, you talk to is grappling with the same issues in that space, and then discoverability. So we fund all this unbelievable content, but in an increasingly fragmented um, media landscape, how do we get New Zealand audiences to find their stories? So those are the sort of four key pillars that we are now sort of centering around everything that we do and looking into. And, under the leadership um, space, one of the areas that we feel really lucky to kind of, I think it is uh, unique to how we sit quite agnostically in the sector is we can do a lot of research that can really benefit the wider sector. And it's research that some might argue otherwise, but it doesn't have an agenda. It's, you know, things like the Where Are The Audiences research that we've been doing every two years and we're now going to start doing every year is a really interesting kind of, anchor point and benchmark for platforms and producers to understand what New Zealand audiences are doing and how. And the piece that I think we are committed to doing better in the coming years is ensuring that that's starting to inform funding policy. So an example of that, and sorry, alongside where are the audiences, we also, every four years, and there was a gap of five in the last one, we do um, a children's media use survey. So that speaks to why one of the strategic pillars is around Tamariki and Rakatahi, because that research showed us that, sort of slightly dispiritingly, we're losing our kids to international platforms in which there's amazing content, but it's not content that is telling their stories and reflecting their funeral and, and their life experiences, and I don't think anyone could have put it better than Cole yesterday when he when he said, "You know, if you do, you need a mirror, if you can't see yourself, you, you 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 can be lost." So, we talk a lot about what that means. So, off the back of that um, research, we've started doing a um, a review, and we're working with an interesting agency called Dubit. They're actually an international agency, but we we chose them because. Um, they were quite involved um, in talking to us when Hey Hey was first born in, in kind of 2017, which was my passion project when I was at TVNZ and it was trying to build a platform and a home for New Zealand children, which is initially a standalone um, website and app. It's now been migrated into TVNZ On Demand for various reasons that aren't worth going into, but... Dubit were really interesting because they um, do a huge amount of global research around children's content, um, and so they're doing a kind of desk research piece for us. They're talking to New Zealand practitioners and platforms. They're talking to international um, practitioners in in countries that are kind of comparative in size and scale to New Zealand to say, what's working out there? Um, What are the learnings? What can we lean on? And that's going to be a really key focus for us next year is um, how do we how do we do that better and how do we ensure that the, the sort of limited amount of children's puteo
2: and funding we've got is, is getting to them. Um, it's probably also worth just noting that um, <clears throat> throughout all of this, um, we're really clear it's not it's not just on us. That's right. Um, and it's not about sort of saying who else is it on, it's actually that we're all in this together. So there's actually some really interesting work already being being done as well by RNZ. Yeah. By um, TVNZ, um, so we are we are kind of engaging across the sector around this because it's it's you know ultimately not just our issue it's it's everyone's. How do we make sure that we solve this problem in a kind of coordinated way? That's
3: right, and, and most of you probably know this, but the way the funding <coughs> works is that. Um, producers need to come to NZ on Air with a platform supporting their, their mahi. So, in so many ways, it has to be in lockstep with the sector, otherwise, it's all kind of disjointed. So, that, yeah, you're absolutely right. That partnership piece is, is critical. Um, the other thing, just to add as well around um, this, the focus of next year, is we're doing a review of um, our New Zealand media fund, which has been in existence for three years, and when it was launched, the intent was at the three-year mark, let's have a pause and look at it and how, how, how does it work and, and what could be tweaked. Um, f- for those that might not be familiar with it, the, the New Zealand Media Fund underpins everything that we do. Um, for those of you re- who remember, I think it was launched at, or that the was launched at Big Screen in, in 2017, and you had that diagram of all the kind of uh, knotted wires that all kind of individual, quite specific, siloed pots of funding, very geared traditionally towards linear television and what that meant, and the overhaul to the NZMF was fundamentally trying to keep pace with the changing demography in New Zealand and the rise in digital technologies and media consumption on those platforms. And so it was arguably simplified into talking about... um, that scripted funding, factual funding, platforms and music, but platform agnostic. Um, so that work is underway, and there's been quite a few conversations happening across the sector, and that'll be something in the new year that we will bring to the sector and talk about. Um,
1: Can you just extract, um, tell us a bit yeah. more about how that?
3: What, what does the
1: review look like? Like what sort of shape,
3: form has so, been involved with that? Yeah, sure. So we... Um, we commissioned Hal Crawford, who, if any of you have worked in the journalism space, he's, he was the ex-head of um, 3 News, and he's actually left NZ, went um, back to Australia. He's an Australian. And he um, he's a very, very brilliant mind, and we'd worked with him in the past on a few different things, and in conversation with him, we, we were talking about the review, and he said, oh, I would be so fascinated in helping you develop that. And so so we've commissioned him to undertake research. I think he's done about 26 interviews across the sector, um, across a whole range of individuals and practitioners, platforms, producers, different providers in the platform space that we fund. Um, Those that you could argue would probably be more pro-NZ on air and those that aren't necessarily, so he was getting a fair view. And he has written us a, a really lengthy review, which is still in the process of being put together, but trying to... Um, look at the key aims of the NZMF. You know, we talk about um, quality, discoverability and diversity and what do those aims mean? And he's trying to say, are you delivering to what the intent of of what it was, which was to try and simplify the funding and keep keep pace with the change. Um, but it's quite clear, isn't it, from sort of early conversations that data is massive, the ability to have a bit, and, and Cam will talk to this more, and, and discoverability of content is, is coming through as a key
2: piece that we, we need to address.
3: Are we
1: ready to head on to talking a bit more about data? Is that
2: where you'd like to go next? Yeah, I mean, I think, as Amy said, these sort of themes were agreed prior to me starting um, and obviously prior to COVID. (laughs) Um, But they're as relevant, I think, now as as ever before, actually, and I think what we're starting to see from early conversations with HAL around the, the, the media front review is that they're they're really in sharp focus as areas that we need, and again, not just us, but I think as a sort of an agnostic agency, we really need to get our head around um, these two key areas. And obviously, um, Case, speaking to you earlier in the week about it, I think you articulated it really well when you sort of said they're kind of two sides of the same coin in many ways. Um, and what that sort of means is we really need to understand what's going on in a really dynamic and fast-changing sector. Um, and, you know, arguably are a little late to, to it in many ways in terms of really understanding um, audience trends, um, um, how we encourage um, greater diversity, authenticity... Uh, a number of those really important aspects, of kind of the content uni- that we fund, a
3: unified cross-platform metric, if you yeah. like, as one of the things. <clears> how do you how do you comparatively look at linear data as well as online data? Yeah.
2: yeah. So the so the starting point for us is that we do carry a lot of data. So, of course, you know, as you would expect, we get the Nielsen data for linear. Um, we, you know, we try and get um, digital um, online data as well. Kay, you made a really good point about. You know the the difficulty in what some of that digital data actually looks like. What it constitutes a view? You. If you've just scrolled through your Facebook feed and there was a video, but you never even clocked it, does that does that count? You know, should it? I mean, obviously, from our point of view, we would say no. Pro, pro, pro,
1: Producers will report it counts.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but but trying to get a head around that just on its own, so audience data, full stop, is is a really really big piece of work that we need to kind of think about. But to Amy's point, then we go. What else constitutes success, right? And, and then you start to go, well, if, that, if we want to kind of redefine what success looks like, then we need to redefine what we measure and we redefine what we held to account upon, which I, 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 I'm really excited about. Like, we've got to put our back into that, but there's a, there's a lot of complexity around that. I mean, in an idea, world, I mean, I've been talking to, to people about this in recent weeks, that if we could come up with something that sort of said, OK, here's the audience data, you get a mark for that, right? But that changes as well, because if, if we're funding uh, a you know a high-end premium drama, then we would expect linear audiences to be X. If we're funding something at a, at a smaller level or for a really important but slightly smaller audience, then we're not going to expect that, but that shouldn't count against that piece of content, right? So you do that, then you also look at what else is happening with that content. So what social engagement is there or community engagement that comes about because of a piece of content that may not have got a huge audience but has had a massive impact on society or a community, Um, cultural impact, critical acclaim. So if you could kind of come up with something that sort of said, "Here's, here's genuinely the definition of success of any piece of content that we might fund. And it's not a blunt... Sort of tool of oh well, how many people watched it? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really exciting, but I'm also really nervous about how we get to it. So well,
1: it's, it's it, yeah, I can say it's hard to get to it, but I mean it's a really heartening to hear because to me that says what you're talking about is equity versus equality, right? You can't have the same measure of success. I think there's a there's a quote actually. I like. I've got to think about this. It's like treating treating different things the same can create as much inequality is treating the same things differently. Mm. So what you're talking about is yeah. actually having or being able to have kind of tailored success measures for what the intention of that particular project is. Yeah. So I guess then, like you said, the devil's mm. in the detail. Are we, are we heading to a place where there might be some kind of template mm. that that data can be delivered to? Because I know that a lot of people are struggling with what data do you want to see and how are we going to see it? And then the other tricky side of that question particularly given that a lot of projects are now going out to audiences on so many different platforms, who's going to be responsible for collating that data, how is doing that resourced when production teams have long moved on to their next project by the time they're still meant to be reporting on data. So I'm not saying you have the answers, but if you have some, that's been good. But is that where we're heading, do you think?
2: Yeah, and I think it's a really good point that you raise because you know, we are going to need the data from somewhere. So some of it we can get, right? So, But the problem is that's the easy stuff. So Nielsen or whatever else, it's the other harder stuff. And so the starting point is, you're right, is some sort of a template that says, here's, here's what we want from you. And ideally some level of consultation that says, well, this is reasonable for you to ask of us, i.e., we can get it to you, it's not going to take us too much time or kind of whatever else within producer reports or or the platforms providing it as, as a constant and ongoing, hey, each month we just need a report that you can spit out or, or kind of whatever. But it, 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 it does start with us being really clear about what we want. And, and to be fair, I think also having capability and capacity within the agency to, to drive outcomes as a result, Do you know what I mean? Like the last thing we want is, oh yeah, great, we've got all these new reports and we've got a nice, you know, new database of information, but we just don't have the time to use it for anything because, you know, we are a really, really lean, brilliantly kind of run organisation. You know, I take no credit for that, um, <laughs> that that's pre-me. Um, but um, because of that leanness, um we we kind of we we kind of always almost inevitably on the next business as usual funding round thing and struggle to be able to take the time to kind of reflect and and kind of work that up so um yeah there's some there's some fun challenges with it
3: and just to add to that, I think to your point about the responsibility it's going to have to be shared so producers in the room who've um receive funding from us well no there's a there's a sort of inherent frustration in the fact that the last drawdown of funding you will have to provide a stats report but invariably your ability to access the stats on the platform that supported you is really patchy you know so therefore and and the sort of Well, and also
1: your project might not be released for quite some time, and so you're trying to close something
3: off. And the nature of it, you've got no data yet. That's right, and it might be a really long tail project. You Mm -hmm. know, it's meant to sit there and be evergreen (laughs) for a couple of years. Or so I think. To Cam's point, and to yours. It is gonna have to be templated in terms of what the data is and what we're asking so that it can be comparative is the first key thing and that's the heavy lifting we have to do. And then it has to be in partnership with the platforms and the producers. And you'll talk a little bit about this in terms of discoverability, but I think we're gonna have to start acknowledging the need to enable producers as well to do some specific and targeted marketing and promotion themselves in complement to what the platforms will do. So again, there will be a shared responsibility around who shares that data and how.
1: And you've just created a beautiful segue into discoverability. Um, yeah. That sort of flip side of the coin you were talking about, at that front end, the marketing and distribution. Yep. Um, do you want to talk some more? I think you had some more points to talk to about discoverability.
2: Yes. I had a couple. Yeah, you go yeah. first. Um, oh, um, enjoy, yeah. I had a couple. Um, but I'm, I, um, I want to tell a, a great joke that someone oh, really, awesome. really fabulous told me a day or two ago. Okay. What's the difference between a documentary that is made and not seen uh, and a documentary that isn't made? About 200 grand, I think is what you said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to use your, your, your joke, but it's actually a really good one, right? And it's at the heart of the issue. So... Um, I think we've always been very, very proud of the fact that almost every single cent that we have goes into the content that we make. And I think that's, I still think that's something that we should be incredibly proud of. But in an ever changing environment where eyeballs are in very, very different places, the challenge for us is far more about making sure that the wonderful content that we fund is actually seen as well. So um, again, we don't have a silver bullet. We actually don't have any of the kind of you know, major answers, but I think Amy sort of hinted at the idea of we have started to have conversations with producers. Um, we had a really fantastic session with WIFT. I think you were at that session back um, just after lockdown. Sort of throwing it out there as an idea. You know, is there is there value in be, in producers um, thinking about how they might um, create a promotional strategy, social media, whatever else, alongside the platforms? The platforms do a fantastic job. Um, but there's only so much that they can do and they've got an awful lot of content that they need to promote. Um, So so the idea that there might be some sort of level of budget set aside to alongside making whatever it is that we fund actually promoting it. And actually, if if I look at our music team, they do that all the time. So um, they do an amazing amount of work for relatively small amounts of money, but every single single that they fund um, has an allocation for some kind of some kind of video material. So, back in the day, it was probably, a you know, a music video. Nowadays, it's, you know, 10-second TikTok videos or whatever else. But, you know, that seems to have worked quite well for Benny, um, which isn't to say mm-hmm. that all the content we fund is going to be like Benny, but, you know, that idea that, hey, actually, the people that make the content are probably also the ones that really understand the audiences that they're delivering to, and therefore, I think therefore, that's why
1: where not? we, we sit lobbied from a lot, and particularly in the more targeted projects and yeah. younger content creators who have often come from a space where they've been making their own content anyway. Mm. And they've got a relationship with their audiences. So they will definitely argue, we've already got the relationship with our audiences. Um, give us the money mm. to do it. But of, of course, the flip side is less money to actually create content. But why, why create content nobody's?
2: I think that's right. I think we, we're going to have to, was we'll unfortunately need to embrace the fact that there needs to be some putia that's set aside for more than just the content that is made, that, that the trade-off is and we need to encourage people to engage in it. The, the other side of this, which is um, which is starting to, ha- to happen more and more for us and I think is is a classic kind of example of the organic nature of a sector that kind of does know what it's doing, is the secondary platform piece and actually I sort of think about um, whānau, which we just funded recently that, that you're attached to, which is an amazing project. Um, you know, you came forward with a primary platform, which is what we need. So we need someone that can actually commission the content and can have sort of an oversight position to ensure that you know our funds are appropriately spent and, and deliver the content. But you brought secondary platforms, uh, in the name of RNZ and Re, I think that's And right? prime, so it's like four, prime. Platforms, so yeah. four platforms. So four platforms. So you know, that's that, that's and addressing the, the fundamental, right? And
3: um, the specificity of Re being part of it, because now. The rangatahi are they twenty one? They'll be 21 next year. So their year, voice yeah. is centered. Yeah. So then the, yeah. the importance of re as a platform becomes. Yeah. Yes, it's that, that's So really it is, And it is a
1: shift for producers uh, having to spend a lot more time thinking about marketing, distribution, and then at the tail end evaluation, as well as actually producing the thing. So I'm probably gonna live to regret this particular <laughs> um, <laughs> this particular yeah. approach. Um, but that's you and, and hence, you know, and obviously I'm here as an advocate often for for independent producers and just going we need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge that producers are holding a lot of extra mm.
2: Not, I mean, it's burden and that it is, it's time and it's resource. It's, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, I mean, we we were at a fantastic panel that you um, moderated yesterday and I think listening to um, a number of the conversations on, on, on that stage about, look, if this stuff is important and it is, if it's fun, fun, utterly fundamental, then we we need to actually, we need to sit down and work out how we assign the budgets to ensure that, that the mahi's done, right? It's not OK to say, well, we really want you to do this and this and this, but, you know... We're only funding you like we have in the past, acknowledging your point that we've our funds aren't growing. Um,
3: so that, yeah, so I think the next piece of work around um, that, they sort of administering... So, so producers being able to bring content to us that might have lines in the budget now that are very specifically about marketing and promotion paid external to the platform support. Um, I think that is going to be... A, the piece of work we now have to do is work with really skilled practitioners who know what they're doing in this space and we're already starting to have those conversations to say, what can that look like? We need to monitor that really carefully. We need to ensure that that doesn't um, inflate budgets so hugely that we are then compromising content outcomes. Um, And how do we then measure that so that we can see that it's working and why? And I think there is a structural issue, which is why we're looking at this now, which is that actually to develop the type of collateral stills, that, that the content that you need to then reach your audiences, it has to be done right at the outset, doesn't it? It needs to be done while production's happening. So I think often that um, frustration or the tensions have existed where the platforms are doing a fantastic job but the marketing team are getting the content so late that oftentimes you can't harness... The way you need to to make the content to then get to audio, you know so there's there's a piece there that and I think then we're there's questions
1: about how much do you want to release on social media during production yeah. that's teasing audiences and how much does it just go cold by the time it
3: comes out so there's a lot in that marketing space that's right d- so I think there'll be a key piece around capability building for the mm. sector is like how mm. can we help those learnings be shared so that that's kind of more widespread and normalised and we start to see that rolling.
1: And talking about that fragmentation of audiences and this multi-platform approach, it is fairly new territory, like you say, that we're all figuring out. Has any have you got any insights as to strategies that are working where so far, or you know, is there patterns appearing about ways that are good ways of, you know, capitalizing on having multiple platforms?
2: I think we're seeing it um, if I if I look at the the perhaps the slightly less commercially orientated public media organisations, so Māori TV, RNZ in particular, who are sharing a lot already. Um, and if I look at RNZ, if, obviously, under <laughs> um, when, when, when you were there, I think, um, the commissioning of content for those organisations is, is not built about a not built upon getting a commercial return through the eyeballs mm. that watch it on the platform. So they are absolutely willing to share that content out to as many other platforms that audiences may be on. The, 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 big, the bigger trick is with the kind of the commercial-orientated platforms that are sort of, you know, they make their money by the eyeballs that, that, that are seeing their content on their platform. But I, I, certainly the public media organisations that we, we deal with are, are doing it really well.
3: And I don't quite know what the magic sources for these ones, but the the examples I can think of that seem to be working really well, CIS is one we talk about a lot. So that collaboration um, with Culture Factory and Prime um, and how that manifested in Comedy Central being the primary platform that it went out on and then built traction and how social media was used and how that team in particular did exactly what we were talking about, which is they were doing their own targeted marketing alongside what Prime and Comedy Central were doing. And all of that was um, very by the sounds of it, very collaborative in terms of how that approach worked. Ahikaro is another really interesting one, and I think the acknowledgement of what that content delivers on Māori television versus who it's talking to on TVNZ On Demand and that those audiences aren't necessarily cannibalising each other. I don't quite know what the answer is, but there's something in those spaces that seems to be working really well. And I guess the the next sort of
1: step into the unknown there is... Do you see a a point in the future, because we're obviously audiences are spending a lot of time on social media and and platforms like YouTube, do you envisage any kind of future space where Enzo On Air would fund things without... Like, at the moment, you've obviously got a finite number of qualifying platforms in order to trigger as as a primary platform. Do you see a future space where it opens up even broader?
2: I think the starting point is... And, and again, acknowledging that we are flexible and nimble and we're, we're looking at doing a whole bunch of different things. We've got to be careful we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So, you know, I think one of the one of the really key parts of our legislation is our, our, um, our mandate not to engage in editorial, right? So we need a commissioner. We need someone that can ensure the taxpayer funds are delivered in an appropriate way. So um, that's always the starting point. So if you look at a YouTube, you go, they don't do that. Um, and, and we'd like to, I, I guess we'd also like to feel like they are actually contributing meaningfully to the sector and to, and, and, and to the, you know, the organisations that we support. So there's, there's a few barriers to it. I mean, I, I guess, on the other hand, you go, if the audiences are there, what do we do about it? And maybe there are some interesting little kind of...
3: Yeah, and isn't it interesting, because, you know, Rangatahi being one of the areas, we're saying we're not reaching them, and I, I would hazard a guess it's because we are currently not servicing directly to those global platforms because of the policy and it's the, the right one but I think the so how we look at it I think has to be very specific so we're going to look at doing a youth RFP at the end of this financial year so I think it's the it's the March May round I always get confused but that that round will look at a targeted RFP and and it's likely that we will be talking about funding content direct to some of those platforms ideally with wider secondary platforms that are local platforms, and there'll have to be some mechanism, which we ha- there's a precedent for it in the past. We did skip ahead with Google, which was before my time, but I think that had attached experienced kind of commissioning editors on those projects. So there's probably ways around it, but I certainly don't think it's you it know, can't be open doors. Yeah.
1: So we've, um, we've, I'm, I'm cognizant of time, and there are some questions coming in, but I know that, Cam, you also wanted to speak quite more, a bit more specifically to the theme of the conference, the transforming culture yeah, sort I mean, of part.
2: Yeah, um, really quickly, but, but um, sort of possibly as, as important as anything else. Um, so representation, which is another thing that we're... Um, I I think we see our our role as really fundamental. So we've been undertaking the diversity report for about the last five years, reporting on gender and ethnicity for key um, creative roles, uh, predominantly writer, producer, director. Um, I guess um, part of my view coming back to that data piece is actually getting our heads around how we use that data more meaningfully to deliver kind of change rather than just reporting on it each year. Um, And... One other piece of work that we're about to begin is is about representation on screen. So, um, we had an amazing presentation from a researcher. Um, um, Gabrielle. Gabby. Um, about, it was just after lockdown, I think. Now, Gabby had been working for the BFI and had done a similar kind of project. So, it was basically a bunch of years assessing who was on, assessing kind of um, representation on screen. And we were really, really taken with the work. Um, and so we've actually hired Gabby <laughs> to um, basically do the same thing for us. Um, she's an amazing young researcher. She's got really, really great experience in, in this space. And so I think we're starting to kind of form up a, a more holistic kind of view of what what's, you know what does that look like on screen and behind screen. Again, the starting point is going to be to collect the, the information up. the most important part of it. Actually, is going to be what do we do as a result of it afterwards? But I think it, it, it will be a really interesting piece of work.
1: And of course, I mean, certainly the arguments that our panelists on our indigenising the workflow um, session yesterday would argue that if you get it right behind this, behind, you know, off screen, it's going to be right on screen. Yeah. That kind of authenticity, like it, it's if if the the key creatives,
3: the people holding the IP, yep.
2: yeah,
3: are the right ones. Yeah. And I yeah. think we've um, sometimes sat back a bit uh, sort of passively in that space because, you know, what comes to us to be funded has already been vetted and supported by platforms, but I think we're too late. We're recognising that we should be asking up front for information that ensures that those outcomes are going to happen. Well, and and also you've got to
1: look at the priorities the platforms have and if they're a commercial imperative, they're going to have perhaps a different priority. Mm
3: -hmm. So
1: you also, I think you wanted to talk specifically about... um, the Pan-Asian, because yes. we are running out. Do you want to talk, yep. talk a little bit about that? Yep. And we have got some great questions. I'm going to suggest we're probably not going to get to them, looking at the timing, but have no fear,
3: join them. But you wanted to, do you want to...? Yeah, I'll just briefly talk about that. And I just really want to recognise um, the Pan-Asian Screen Collective PASC in particular, Suchi, who um, we enlisted her help a couple of years ago now. It was actually on the stage. We launched a development telefeature initiative a little bit clunkily, have to admit. And Suchi was incredible. She she worked with us through that process to say, um, you know, celebrate the intent behind it. There's process here that was lacking. The opportunity put up in many ways was um, not not necessarily even able to be met. It's almost setting individuals and communities up to fail. So we've done a huge amount of work with PASC and the. Um, the $2 million factual RFP that was announced, I want to say about a month ago, um, for which submissions are due mid-January, has been a result of ongoing conversations with PASC around how to um, approach the opportunities in that space and what we're asking for in terms of teams and involvement and in stories that will be told. You know, down to kind of its nuanced, but it's so important, which is saying this is um, a, a scheme intended for the Pan-Asian creative communities. Um, you don't necessarily have to be telling Asian New Zealand stories that, you know, that part of it here is just about ensuring that we're building capability across the sector and what that looks like. So on Monday night, um, PASC is facilitating a, a webinar um, with NZ On Air and a multitude of platforms to actually speak to the, the, that I think sector. that's going to be on
1: their Facebook.
3: I think that's right. Oh, I, I think yep. it's going
1: on there, on the Pan-Asian Screen Collective um, Facebook page, 6 yep. o'clock. So, yep. yeah, think out some more. Any um, final comments from you?
2: Pam? Um, no, other than, I mean, to reiterate the comments I made at the start, so, so firstly, um, a, a massive shout-out to the sector. Um, I, I'm not sure how you're all feeling, but um, Christmas can't come quickly enough for many of us. It's been a ridiculous They'll be year. they
1: working on proposals over Christmas. I
2: thanks. Think, sorry. <laughs> uh, well, for those of you that were in the, the room for that 50 mil, I think we were quite, kind of quite purposeful, and it's really difficult to find the balance right, but I think we sort of said we really need to open it before Christmas, but we need to, to kind of close it enough down the it. line to at least give people a little bit of a break over, over Christmas. So, um, and, and also just to thank UK, um, Bless you.
1: <laughs> well, thank <laughs> you both, way. and um, please join me again, showing your appreciation to Cameron you and you Amy from New sat on Air. <laughs> Khiarukau tā. Khiarukau tā.
0: <laughs> the Big Screen Symposium 2020 was brought to you by Script to Screen and J and A Productions. We gratefully thank our event partners: the New Zealand Film Commission, New Zealand on Air, Te Mangai Paho, Images and Sound, Screen Auckland, and AUT. Voiceover is by me, La Lena and music by Poddington Bear.